Well, good morning, and this is the midweek devotional for Wednesday, uh, June the 23rd. Just to let you know, we will not have a midweek devotional next week because I will be at General Assembly. General Assembly is the yearly meeting for our denomination at which we make decisions together about matters concerning the entire uh, church, the entire denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, we have uh, over 2,000 ministers and ruling elders who will be coming, uh, along with many family and others who will be observing. And so I do ask for your prayers for that time, that the Lord, by His Spirit, would give us wisdom uh, that we would make the right decisions. I'll be traveling to St. Louis. So, uh, by the way, we will have a guest preacher on July the 2nd. I'll be here to help lead the service, but we have a PCA Navy chaplain who will be preaching to us. Now, the Navy uh, provides chaplains for both the Marines and the Coast Guard. And so this chaplain, Doyle Allen, he's a lieutenant, and he's serving down in Mobile at the Coast Guard base down there. So he is with the Navy Department. However, he uh, is on loan right now to the Coast Guard. So that'll be a lot of fun. That's July the 4th. Uh, that's a Sunday, July the 4th. All right, well, let's pray. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for changing us, making us new, for wooing us uh, out of our sin and, and convincing us of our need of Christ and giving us the ability to, to call upon him. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our denomination and our local church uh, has a statement of faith. Did you know that? So we believe the Bible is the only inerrant word, only inerrant source and authority of faith and practice of what we do and what we believe. However, if you ask the Baptist what they believe, they will say the exact same thing, right? And yet there are many differences between us and the Baptists. We both love Jesus. We're all going to heaven. I don't mean that, uh, anything beyond that. But, uh, but we do disagree on some things. And so both they and we have statements about what we believe. The Baptists have what's called the Baptist faith and message. Uh, and it's updated, uh, I think the last one was around the year 2000. Our denomination and our church has a statement of faith, and it actually goes back to the 1640s. There are, they're called the Westminster Standards. That's the Confession of Faith, which in paragraph form, following chapters, uh, sets forth a summary of what Scripture says and is a great teaching tool. We also, it also has something called the Westminster Larger and shorter catechisms. A catechism is a question and answer way of teaching. So the first Westminster shorter catechism question is, what is the chief end of man? That means, what is his purpose? What is his meaning in, in life? Man's chief end, the answer, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's a great teaching tool. Uh, and the larger one is, well, it's just larger than the shorter one. Well, I have been, along with the Word of God, I've been revisiting the confession of faith in my own devotions, and I have just been so reminded of, of how much of a pastoral document it is. It was written by men who just weren't theologians. They were pastors, uh, and they knew what it was to fight sin daily, and they knew what it was to love and shepherd uh, the flock and the real struggles that normal Christians like you and me face. I was reading this morning in chapter 9, and chapter 9 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is on free will. Now, we believe we have free will, uh, but free will is bound to our nature. So I, I want to walk through this chapter. I want to give you a taste of 
of what the Confession of Faith is like. You can find it online, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, or you can call the church, and I'll be glad to give you a copy. Um, so I have a, a copy that I, I bought several years ago at General Assembly that's, that's a really pretty copy, by the way. Anyway, okay, so let me read. We're going to read through this. There are four paragraphs, or five paragraphs, and, and I want to highlight uh, four different things. So I'm going to read through uh, paragraph one, but I'm really going to spend time on the other ones. So paragraph one of chapter nine. God hath, by the way, this is old language, right? 1640s. That was a long time ago. God hath endued the will of man with that natural liberty that it is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. All right. Paragraph two. Man, in his state of innocency, had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and pleasing to God, but yet mutably, so that he might fall from it. All right, so the thing I want to highlight in this chapter is that the confession uses language to talk about the state of mankind, and there are four states of mankind. The first is innocency. Innocency. That's a hard word to say. Innocency. The second is the state of sin. The third is the state of grace. And the fourth is the state of glory. What do those things mean? Well, the state of innocency, which we just read about, is how God created Adam and Eve, in which Adam and Eve were able and had the ability to choose good, to do what is morally good and spiritually good. Remember, Adam and Eve were created perfectly and in perfect relationship with God. Can, I, we don't even know, we can't even imagine what, that's looks, what that looks like. There's language in Genesis, and it says that God walked in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. Well, what does that even look like? God is a spirit. He does not have form or body. So, I mean, I don't know, but they, they enjoyed some kind of fellowship with God that, that we can't fully understand, and they did not have the, the struggles with sin and temptation that you and I have. And that, that was called the state of innocency. They did not have sinful desires within them. They did not fight sinful temptation. There was no fight with the flesh that defines our very day. Well, we have to be careful. Uh, be careful of that language. It doesn't define our day. We are defined by Christ. We should say that our struggles with sin characterize our daily lives. Adam and Eve were made in a state of innocency. Okay, that's the first state. The first state of man is the state of innocency, and that is the one in which Adam and Eve were created. But as you know, things did not stay that way. So the second state, and the state to which you and I are born into, is called the state of sin. The state of sin. Let me, let me read paragraph 3 of chapter 9 of the Confession. Man, by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to do any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. What does that mean? It means that when we're born into this world, we are born in a state of sin. Uh, Psalm 51 uh, David says, in sin my mother conceived me. Now, he's not saying that sex is sin. That's not what he's saying, is that he inherited the original sin and guilt of Adam, right? Like we all have. 
And we were born into this world sinful and opposed to God. And in this state of sin, we don't have the ability to do any spiritually moral good. Okay, so we have free will. But our free will is bound to our nature. And apart from Christ, in the state of sin, before we are Christians, we do not have a heart that wants what is spiritually good. Now, we might do what is civilly good. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, unbelievers do happen to love their children. Unbelievers do a lot of good things. Think of Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates, and how much money they've given away. Um, I don't think there's any evidence that they claim to be Christians. I'm not judging their hearts, but I don't think they make that claim. So they, they do something that is civilly good, but when it comes to seeking good before God and spiritually good and seeking God apart from Christ, we can't do anything. Why? Because we are born in the state of sin, and in that state, we are under bondage. We are under bondage to sin, and we are dead in sin, and we don't have in our own strength any ability to convert ourselves. That's bad news, isn't it? That is bad news. Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 talk about how we were dead in our sins, right? The good news is, and this is the good news of the gospel, and this is, this is the good news of Christianity, is that God does not leave us in the state of sin, the state of sin and misery. And that's where we get to the fourth chapter, the confession of faith. Oh, this is such, I love, I love this thing. When God converts a sinner, and praise God he does, right? Praise God he does. He has converted you, uh, if you're a Christian, he's converted me, not because anything I've done in me. Note it says when God converts a sinner, that, that means he is doing the work. When God converts a sinner and translates him, this is old language from moving, from changing, translates him into the state of grace. So this is our third state. Our first state was the state of innocence in which Adam and Eve were made. The second state is the state of sin. The third state is the state of grace. He freeth him from a natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. I'm going to pause there for a second. There's more. All right. So when we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light in conversion, which is what God does in our salvation, amongst other things, he changes our hearts, right? And no longer are we under this category, under this bondage, and under this definition of sin, but rather we have received his grace, and belong to him by his grace, and he changes our hearts, and now he enables us by his spirit to desire that which is good. As believers in Christ, we often, sometimes, uh, I, I don't know frequency-wise what to say, we can, we'll say that, we have the ability to desire to glorify God and to seek him and, and to praise him and to live for him and to serve him and to worship him. Right, And that doesn't come from us. That comes from God's grace working in us, applied to us by the Holy Spirit. We have been transferred out of this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let me get my Bible. I love that passage. It's in Colossians. Let me see if I can find it quickly. You know, there is this change of citizenship. There is this change of to whom we belong. No longer do we belong to sin and to the estate and the state of sin. 
but rather we have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Here it is, Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain, power, authority, control, the domain of darkness, and transferred us. Praise God for that. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right. So now that we are in the state of grace, we're no longer defined by our sins. We're no longer defined by our struggle with sins. We don't identify ourselves by our sins. We name our sins, but we are not named by our sins. Does that make sense? Someone might struggle with drunkenness, but there's no such thing as a, a drunkard Christian. There are plenty of Christians who struggle with drunkenness. But there's no such thing as a Christian that is modified by any type of struggle with sin because the good news of Jesus is come to Christ, be forgiven, and be changed. You're going to struggle for a long time and perhaps till you die with whatever besetting sin it is that, that you struggle with. But you can grow in that struggle, right? You can learn to fight that struggle more and more, but it doesn't define you. Christ defines us. We are in the state, in the definition, under the power of grace. All right, this paragraph continues. Yet so, as that by reason of his remaining corruption, he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. Now, in this state of grace, we still struggle with sin. And so we do will, desire, cause, purpose, love, have affections for not only those things which are spiritually good, but also those things which are spiritually evil. Don't you feel that tug every day, that battle with the, with the flesh? I like how the confession puts it, as by reason of his remaining corruption. Don't you feel that remaining corruption in us? It's that daily fight with the flesh. And so we, we do will both good and evil as Christians. Now, anytime we will anything good, we desire that which is good, we pursue that which is spiritually good, it is coming from the Holy Spirit working within us in our new regenerated hearts. And that which we will that is ungodly, that comes from our sinful flesh, the remaining corruption that is within us. Oh, but there's one final state. Okay, we've talked about three states so far. First, the state of innocency. Second, the state of sin. Third, the state of grace. And my friends, there's one more. That is the state of glory. The state of glory. We read of this in paragraph 5 of chapter 9. The will of man is made perfectly and immutably. Immutably, immutably, <laughs> immutably means cannot change. Immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. Let me read that paragraph again. The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. One day when Christ returns, or first when we go, if we die before he uh, returns, we will have lost our desire to do evil. The flesh will be taken from us. Don't you yearn for that day, my friends. Right in the state of glory, when Christ comes back, makes all things new, and we receive our bodies back, we will never, ever desire that which is evil again. And that will last forever and ever. I, I'm just I'm blown away by that, aren't you? I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day. All right, so there, there are these four states. Innocency, Adam and Eve were created in that. 
They plunged us all into a state of sin. But by God's grace and by Christ's sacrifice, when we become Christians, we are transferred into the state of grace, and we look forward one day to the state of glory. My friends, the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechisms are great places to learn about what the Bible teaches. It's a great devotional tool. Um, I do commend it to you. If you don't have a copy, I'll be happy to get you one. We have several at the church uh, I think I can find. And uh, they're also it's also available online. So uh, the copy I have has proof text at the bottom. Everything in there is backed up by Scripture. And my copy actually has the passage of Scripture printed at the bottom of the page so you can easily look down and say, now where did they get that from? So let me pray for you. Uh, and also I do ask you to pray for two things in particular today. One, uh, for Vacation Bible School. Tonight is our last night. Uh, and then also our search for a youth director. Our search for our youth director. Let's pray. So, Father, we do pray for these two things. We pray for Vacation Bible School tonight, that many children would come to know you if they, if they don't know you already. Pray for their families. They would be transformed uh, and transferred from a state of sin to a state of grace. Uh, Lord, also we pray for our search for a youth director, that you would bring us the right man uh, soon that we might have one in place before the beginning of uh, school. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Go in God's grace.